Thank you, brother, very much. Mark 14, 22 through 25 is where we're going to be this morning. And this is what it says. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. You can be seated. And as you're being seated, will you please pray with me? Father, I know that your word will not return void, just like you said in your word, that it will produce that for which you've sent it out. Just as the rain and the snow falls upon the ground and waters the ground, and produces growth, Lord, your word goes out and it has an effect. It will either further soften those who trust and believe your word and will help them grow up in the faith, or it will further harden those who reject it and turn away from it. None of us go away from this word this morning neutral. So I pray, Lord, of course, that you would use it to draw sinners and also to build up the saints. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. And like Lydia, we pray that you would open hearts to believe. Pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. So I've titled the message this morning, The Lord's Supper. That's going to be the focus of this sermon this morning. Why? Well, because that's the focus of our text this morning. As you know, we just walk through the scriptures breaking it down verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because this is the way it was written to us. All of the word of God is important. It all has meaning. And every word of it is vital for us, so we leave no stone unturned. And so this morning, we're we're talking about the Lord's Supper. It's a highly symbolic meal, as you know, and Christians have partaken of it ever since the very night that was referenced in our sermon text just Now, that night, Jesus and his followers partook of a meal called the Passover. The Jews had been celebrating for thousands of years to remind them about when God delivered his people from slavery. Slavery in Egypt, even thousands of years before that night that Jesus was there. And it was specifically a reminder of the last of ten plagues. That last plague was the death of the firstborn in every household unless, unless those people believed the Lord's command and took him at his word and walked in obedience to what he said and actually applied blood from a lamb to their door of their home. And if they did that, death passed over that house. That night, the firstborn was spared that night. So every subsequent Passover that was celebrated every year was just a reminder of the original Passover. But then Jesus changed it this night when he's with his followers. He told them what it really represented. He told them that the elements of the bread and the wine specifically were actually something else. 
And from that point on, it's taken a, a fuller meaning for God's people. But even in its fuller meaning, there's actually more there than many have realized. And there's more to come because even now it points to something better to come in the future, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment. Um, do you all, some of you do, some of you don't, remember the overhead projector back in the day? I remember the church that I got saved at. Um, one of the ministry opportunities that they gave me was a really important one. Every so often, I was responsible for placing the, uh, what do you call them, transparencies on, on the overhead projector. And I had to move it up slightly as we were singing because the people in the back, you know, they can't see it once it gets to the bottom. So it was really important. You had to move it just right. Well, as you know, sometimes whenever you were in class and your teacher was using an overhead projector, and yep, I've had those opportunities, sometimes those transparencies, as you, you could lay them on top of each other and it would give you more of a picture, like if you're studying anatomy or something like that, right? Well, guess what? In our text this morning, Mark's not the only one who talks about this night. Matthew records the same night and that same conversation. So does Luke. And they all give us a little bit of what was said that night. And so I'm going to overlay, like transparencies, we're going we're to overlay and, and make a fuller picture of all that was said that night, and it's going to be good for us. So we're actually going to start with Luke 22. Luke 22, 15 and 16. Why start there? Well, because Jesus actually says two sentences before he starts where we see in Mark. As you know, Mark is very concise. That's why it's the shortest gospel that we have. It's only 16 chapters. So he just, he hits the high points. And so aren't you glad we have multiple gospels? So Jesus starts with these two sentences. And then goes on to say more later on. So let's start here. Look what he says, verses 15 and 16. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So why did Jesus, quote, earnestly desire? To be earnest about something means like you, you're really into it, right? You're earnest. You're putting all your passions into it. So Jesus, why did he earnestly desire to eat this Passover with them? I think part of the answer is found actually in the next verse. The very following verse, I think, gives us the answer because that verse starts with the word for. It starts with the word for, which means like, because this. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So this meal, this exact Passover, that night with his followers, pointed to something else that would be the fulfillment of this one. Did you ever pick up on that? In my studies, I picked up on that again. Of He's saying, I'm not going to eat of this again until it's fulfilled in the future. So what does that mean about this one then? What does that mean about that one that they're eating that night? It's something like what we call a type, a symbol, a prophecy even, if you will, it's pointing to something in the future. It's not fully fulfilled. Isn't that great? The Passover itself points to something else, which Jesus is going to tell them in our text, and he already has, hey, this is actually my body. Hey, this is actually my blood. But even in that, he says, 
there's still a future fulfillment. There's still something else that this is pointing to. Which one is that? What's it pointing to? It's pointing to, I believe, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. That is the ultimate celebration feast in the new heavens and the new earth where the bride, which is the church, and the groom, which is Jesus, are united in a relationship that's so close-knit and so pure that it can be called a marriage. Because it's a, you don't have a marriage supper unless there was a marriage, right? We call it the reception. This meal that Jesus was having with the 12 that day, even though it was mixed with betrayal, it was. It was also a meal that Jesus was longing to have because of what it represented. It represented his love for his people. A love that was so profound that he was willing to suffer and die in their place. What's the scripture says? Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He was willing to be punished and even momentarily separated from the Father for his people, for those whom he loved, in order to walk out in obedience to his Father so that many could be saved. And Jesus makes it clear in what we read next in Mark. Um, makes it even more clear because Jesus pulls back the curtain of heaven just a bit more for us. It's called revelation. He's revealing more to us. Something that was concealed before is now being revealed even further. And Jesus does that with his words. That's why we call God's word revelation because he's revealing things to us that we could not know otherwise. And of course, for that, we're very, very thankful. So look now in our text, Mark 14, 22. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Now, I want you guys to look also at this that I made. It's a, like a slide that I made for you. It's got the rest of what Mark says, but in blue, you'll see this is what Luke adds to it. And in green, we'll see this is what Matthew adds to it. This is just more of the story that we get, more of the conversation that day. So I'm putting it all together. So when Jesus says, take, this is my body, Luke also includes, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus reveals that this unleavened bread is actually his body and then reveals what he's going to do with that body that he's been given. He's going to give himself to be judged. Notice he says, which is given for you. He's going to give himself to be judged as if he were the wicked one and submit himself to a death sentence given for you. This was done for sinners. This was done for you and I. Isaiah 53, 4. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our grief and carried 
our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. When he says given for you, it's a fulfillment of what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. He's borne our grief and our sorrows. He did it for sinners. He bore the wrath of God in his body. When we partake of the bread here in just a moment, you don't digest the bread without chewing it and crushing it between your teeth. This is also part of the symbolism. What symbolism? Isaiah 53 again. That's a wonderful chapter, isn't it? I remember the church that I got saved in. I didn't know a lot of the scriptures growing up. You know, I knew some of the big stories like creation and David and Goliath and Jonah and the whale and some of these parables and things like that. My mom was faithful to take us to church, praise God. So I didn't know a lot. So after I got saved, I was just a sponge. I just wanted more and more Bible. Give me more Bible. And I remember it must have been around Easter time. I remember someone standing up in that church, coming to the front and reading Isaiah 53. And when I heard it, I was just taken in so deeply. I thought, that's, that's in the Bible? Wow, that's so good. And he kept reading more and kept reading more and it kept getting better and better. And I was just thinking, wow, what a chapter. And I still think that. Why? I mentioned earlier, Jesus is the bread is crushed between our teeth. Yes, listen to Isaiah 53, 5. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This meal is so symbolic. This meal is so special. It means so much to us. And Christians have been celebrating it for thousands of years in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. Then that's what Jesus says next, doesn't he? He says this. He tells us to do it in remembrance of him. Remember me. Remember me. I'd like to read from a portion of what my friend's church reads before their communion meal. They have a, a reading. He's Presbyterian, so they're much more liturgical than us. It, kiddos, if you don't know what liturgical means, it just means like there's this order by which they go, and it's very like stand up, sit down, read this, read that. And... Um, I got to sit in for one of their services once, and they, they read this long portion that we uh, listened to before taking of the Lord's Supper, and it was so good. It was so meaningful. And this is just one small portion of it pertaining to do this in remembrance of me. And they say this, when our Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, he ordained this Holy Supper as a constant memorial and visible proclamation of his death. The Apostle Paul also teaches us that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. So with this meal, it also serves us as a reminder. We are remembering Jesus. We're remembering his words and we're remembering his works because this meal represents his final work of death burial, and we know resurrection came after it because we're told to do this until he comes again. 
So let's now look at verses 23 and 24 of Mark 14 then. He takes the cup, it says, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Matthew adds, for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is actually why some churches all drink from one cup. I don't know if you've ever been to a church like that, but I have. If you, <laughs> if you are a sort of a germaphobe, the only thing I was banking on at that church is they actually drank wine. So I was thinking, well, maybe the alcohol is killing some of everybody's spit that's all over this cup. Now, but the, uh, the gentleman wiped the cup after each person partook of it. But I was thinking, yeah, we're still getting spit molecules of each other, though. I promise you that. But that's why some churches drink of one cup. Because they drink of one cup. Here. Don't worry. I'm not now saying that to say, and therefore, next week. <laughs> well, I think we'd make the news if we did that, wouldn't we? All right. He said about that cup that night, this is my blood. You have to remember these words coming out of Jesus' mouth. This was the first time these were spoken. This meal from, from, that, from thousands of years of old, it always represented the unleavened bread that they ate in the wilderness or that day, rather, because God was like, you don't even have time for this bread to rise. You're going to eat it quick because you're going to be out of here tomorrow. And the cup, of course, representing many different things, but especially the blood of the lamb as well. But we studied the Passover in the past, and as you guys recall, that that wine for them didn't just represent that. It represented joy and all these other things as well, because they were going to be getting set free. But Jesus today changes everything. Jesus is saying things that the disciples never heard before. You and I were used to these words. We, we hear them, we're like, yeah, this is my body, this is my blood, yep. I've heard that my whole life. This was brand new. This would have been shocking. They would have said, wait, 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 this is not what we're supposed to say. The Passover was very um, orderly. You did this at this time. You did this at this time. You said these things at this time. It was just, they knew the order. And Jesus was now saying something they'd never heard. That's your body? That's your blood? This is the blood of my blood of the covenant, he says, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Both the unleavened bread and now the wine express Jesus' new work of redemption. These were new words. They were expressing a new work. Notice Jesus says that his blood is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has a people who are redeemed by his blood. Who are those people? Who are those people? They are those who are convinced in their minds that God's words are true. They are those people that are convicted in their hearts that their sins are crimes against God. And they are the ones who are converted in their souls and given a new heart by Jesus Christ because of that conviction and because of that convincing Convicted, convinced, and converted. These are the ones that come to Christ because these are the ones Jesus purchased by his blood. 
There was a price for a people. That remnant will be saved, by the way. Jesus' work is effective, and it will accomplish what God has ordained for it to accomplish. But notice, notice this. Well, and, and know this, and we already know this. Not all, not all are saved, are they? Not all will be saved. And not all even have been saved yet. Jesus didn't say his blood was poured out for all. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Again, this is just another reference to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 12 says this. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. Isaiah 53 is wrapped up in all this so tightly. Did you know that the Jews have certain, modern day Jews that don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, they are um, encouraged to read Isaiah, of course, but did you know they're also encouraged to skip Isaiah 53? Did you know that? Really, I'm not making this up. You can go Google it. Ask your Jewish friends about Isaiah 53. They are encouraged to not read it. That's, yeah, I'm with you, Pam. She's making a face like, that's fishy. Yes, it is. You know why? Because it's so powerful. It gripped my heart that day, and it's gripped it ever since. He bore the sin of many, is what Isaiah 53 says. And Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This was the price of their forgiveness. God is a just judge. He's a just judge. He always does what's right, and he always judges rightly. And aren't you thankful for that? We have a just judge who can see through all the lies. He can see through everything. He will not let the wicked go unpunished. So, the way that God can be both judge and justifier of the wicked, because he does justify you who've been saved, hasn't he? You've been pronounced just, though you have sinned, though you know you have done these wicked acts. How can he do both? He can only do both through Jesus Christ. Why? A righteous one, who did not deserve punishment of his own, dies in your place. So therefore, God's justice is done, but then also he can be gracious to sinners because someone died in their place. He can be just and the justifier of the wicked at the same time. That's why we find both grace and justice mingled together at the cross. It's a beautiful thing. Of course, you don't see it as beautiful until your eyes are opened up. It's foolishness. According to Paul, he says, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, huh, is the hope of God and the glory of God. I was thinking about that when we were singing just a moment ago. In the background behind some of our songs, there's like a blurred out image and one of those blurred out images that we just sang a second ago was a picture of 
a man on the cross. It was, it was blurred to not detract from the words that we're singing. And I was looking up at that, and I saw it, and I thought, that's hope right there. Jesus on the cross, it's hope. For us who are saved, it's a sure hope. Because we say hope, and we say, well, I hope so. Hey, are you going to find a million dollars on the ground one day? Well, I hope so. Meaning, like, it's not probable. But I, I sure hope so. But for us who are saved, it's a sure hope. It's a hope that we know is secure. But it's also hope for those who are not saved, because it's like, hey, guilt for your sin? Hey, understanding that you're under God's judgment? There's hope. Someone took your judgment for you. And what Jesus says, also, this is my blood of the covenant. This also recalls something else. Because all of this keeps pointing back to things that have already been in the Old Testament for thousands of years. This recalls that the biblical covenants are sealed in blood. I don't know if you recall, but when God made a covenant with Abraham, in Genesis 15... There were sacrifices made. There were blood was shed. And then also when God made the covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, there was blood that was shed. There were sacrifices that were made. And blood was sprinkled even on the people. In the new covenant that Jesus is instituting here, it's no different. Except in that it was initiated with better blood. The blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you've read the book of Hebrews, you know you can sum up the book of Hebrews with two words, better than. That's the whole point of that book, is Jesus is better than. And he's got a whole chapter about how the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, is just better than all the sacrifices of old. This one is even better. Because Jesus initiated this covenant with his own blood. The new covenant that we're in. That's why we don't make sacrifices anymore. Because he was the once for all sacrifice. And aren't you glad? Verse 25. Verse 25 says this. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. By saying this, Jesus shows his sure belief that God will not abandon him in the grave. Jesus had not died yet. He knew death was coming. And this shows, just by him saying this, it shows his sure faith, his sure belief that his father would not leave him in the grave. He would be raised again from the dead. And that's our hope. That's the hope that we have as Christians. And that's why the resurrection is so attacked by our enemies. Because there's, if there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ, then there's no Christianity. That's why Paul even says, if Christ be not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain, futile, worthless. That's why we celebrate so much a risen Savior. Because he is raised. And Jesus saying, I will not drink it, drink it again until that day, new in the kingdom. 
He knew he would be there. The grave cannot, will not, and did not hold him. He rose again from the dead. The world and the devil did their worst to betray him, but God did his best when he raised him. The world and the devil did their worst to betray him, but God did his best when he raised him. God's ways cannot be thwarted. They can't be. Even when we see our enemies attacking the truth, we can stand there and smile knowing <laughs> you, can't, you can't win. Paul said, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. If I live, have Christ. If I die, have Christ. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Jesus once again references that future meal in heaven there with that ending statement that he gave. And let me end, a little bit shorter message today, let, let me end by, by reading this section of Revelation that references that future meal. Listen also for our risen Lord's return in judgment and glory. They're going to be mixed together that day. When he returns, great glory. But also when he returns, great judgment. Why? Because he's righting all wrongs. He's purging the world of wickedness, evil, pride, arrogance, hatred, slander, blasphemy, all of it is purged that day. He cannot stand in God's holy presence. Listen to this. Revelation 19, 9 through 13. This is John writing and recounting. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God. Because this was an angel. This, this wasn't Jesus. This, this wasn't the Father. He does not, angels do not accept worship. And it says this, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head, and on his head were many diadems, that means crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Father, we do celebrate what you did for us on the cross with the Lord's Supper, and in doing so also, we remember what you've done until you come again, Lord, and we know that when you come again, what we just read will be true. You will come in righteousness and holiness and purity, and you will make heaven and earth one, and it will be holy and you will have a glorious 
beautiful flame in your eyes and you will be shining brightly like the sun and your name will be proclaimed. It's written and embroidered on your robe even. King of kings, Lord of lords, you are the word. You're also called faithful and true, this text tells us. And we celebrate all this. All this is encapsulated in this meal that we will partake of after we sing. And so we thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord's Supper. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.